probably like one of his only semi-serious roles, which is in the film Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah. Hey, Stranger Than Fiction fans. And so in this movie, um, Will Ferrell plays Harold Crick, who is an IRS agent, and he lives a very routine, almost like a mathematical existence. And even in the opening scene, the narrator um, talks about him and, and says he lived a life of solitude. He'd walk home alone. He would eat alone. He would go to bed alone. But then one day, Harold's going about his routine, and he realizes that he's starting to hear this voice. And the voice is narrating everything that he's doing, and it's also kind of like narrating things that are going to happen. So he's at first kind of feels like maybe he's going crazy, but then at the same time, he, he thinks something else is going on. And we as the audience see that there's a writer, and she's struggling to finish a book that she's writing, and... It's a book about a man named Harold Crick. And whatever she's narrating in this book that she's writing is actually coming to pass in Harold Crick's actual life. And so um, I think what I love about this movie, well, I'll back up a little. So as he's hearing the voice and it's completely disrupting his routine, he starts to just become um, awake to the things that are happening in, in his life and the opportunities and to get busted out of this routine that he's taken for granted. And so he finds love, he finds himself deepening friendships that he has, he finds himself finding joy in life, of learning new things, like he always wanted to learn the guitar, so he finds this great, great joy in doing that. So what I think I love about this movie is that it's a, mo it's a movie about awakening. And I think this is, a movies about awakening oftentimes can be not too, too much of a stretch for us to relate to as Christians, because in a way this is kind of how we see the world that we live in the reality of the kingdom of the world, but we also participate in the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes the reality of the kingdom of the world is um, pretty difficult to live in. So it's very hard to see the reality of the kingdom of heaven. We need eyes to see that. We, we see that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have already established the kingdom of God on earth, but we also know that it's not yet fully established. So we talk about this idea of the kingdom is already and not yet. We're still waiting for the, the fulfillment of all things, for the restoration of all things, for new creation to, to um, be established. So as we live in the kingdom of this world, um, I think we need to hear the voice of God breaking into our lives because the weight of the world can um, become, we can become so weary in it. Like, we feel that our bodies are in chronic pain and illness. We have patterns of thinking and behavior and um, action that we want to change, but we just keep returning back to those things. We see the appalling injustices that are in our world and communities that need to be reconciled. And we have relationships that sometimes feel that they're so full of misunderstanding and injury that we don't know how we can work through all of the hurt. That feels impossible. We can feel resigned that our only hope for real change is going to be when Jesus re returns to restore all things. But for right now, we just kind of have to hold on and we have to endure the not yet. But here at the table, uh, I really appreciate that we hold on to the hope that even now God is always present and at work. And so I want to encourage us this morning to just hear God's voice speaking into our lives once again, to have eyes to see how God's active work is disrupting our routines and awakening us to the goodness of his kingdom. This morning we proclaim the good news that into the fading hopes and persistent wounded places of life in the not yet, Jesus sees our afflictions and everything we can't make straight 
and he desires to call us forward to receive release and restoration today. So as I was reading and rereading this passage and praying about what good news here will be um, words of life for our community this morning, I kept noticing two things. And the first thing is I just kept seeing the bent over woman from the Gospel of Luke and, um, and just how she had experienced this disability for 18 years. And I thought of all the people in the Gospels who sought out Jesus for healing. I mean, it's over and over. And in the book of Luke, we have someone lowered through a roof to, to, uh, who is a paralyzed to get healing. We see, like, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, who goes to ask for healing for his daughter. A woman with a bleeding who just, who knows, if I just even touch the hem of his garment, I'll have healing. But here, I noticed that this woman, who had suffered for 18 years, and she's sitting in the synagogue, and Jesus is teaching she doesn't ask him for healing. She's not seeking him out for healing. And I don't know what she thought about the brokenness of her body or how that changed over the course of 18 years. Or maybe like in year one, she prayed for healing and thought like, oh, healing's going to come. But by 18 years, she's like resigned. This is just the state I'm in. This is the state that my body's in. That she was resigned to the fact that people, neighbors, family members, people she saw on the street probably looked at her and thought, she looks like that because of the sin in her life that she was just resigned to, this is how it's going to be for the time. And I know that it's pretty easy for me, actually, to relate to that resignation. I was thinking about how even over the past two weeks, many of you know I've been, like, really struggling with my back. And my prayers kind of are just, like, get me, help me get through the day. <laughs> just have to, like, volunteer with kids and, like, take care of my child. <laughs> this is what I need to get through. But... I think of the pain, the chronic pain that I've had like for four to five years as kind of just the way it is now in the not yet, that I'm waiting um, the restoration of my body, that I'm waiting for Jesus to come and for the resurrection, and it's just the natural outworking of consequences because of choices I've made over the years and I don't exercise enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just resigned to like this is the way it's going to be. But what I generally don't do is really hope for God to bring restoration to my body today. Now, and what I think is so, one thing that's so compelling in this passage is that even though the woman doesn't ask Jesus for healing, Jesus sees her. He looks upon her and he sees her body that she may have been resigned for about for a long time, and he brings release and healing to her from the spiritual and the physical bondage that she has in her life, in her body. And so I feel an invitation as I reflect on that, to ask Jesus for healing. And I don't know why some people get healing and some people don't have healing and some people have it today and some people wait 18 years and have it. I can't answer all of those. But I know that as I see Jesus looking upon her with compassion and with care and the one who came to bring sight to the blind and to bring release to captives and here who gives release to this woman, that I can have hope just to ask, and not just to ask God for things when I'm like, I think I already know that he's probably going to do it, so I'll go ahead and ask, but to ask when I truly don't know, and when I truly just have to live with the hope that it may or may not happen, that there's value in asking and in trusting, that Jesus sees our afflictions and everything that we can't make straight, and he desires to call us forward to receive and rest, release and restoration today. And the second thing that I was thinking about as I was reflecting on this passage is um, just the synagogue leader's reaction to Jesus. 
that he was indignant about Jesus healing the woman on the Sabbath, bringing release to her on the Sabbath. And every time I like read a story where the Pharisees or the synagogue rulers or the temple personnel, whoever, are indignant at Jesus for bringing heal- healing, I feel a little boggled. Like, I feel a little indignant within myself. Like, what? how can you be responding that way? That doesn't make any sense. But it really helps me to remember that the importance of, this, of observing the Sabbath for Jewish people um, and in this story for the synagogue ruler and for their community. That it's not just a religious observance, but it is a marker of identity. It's a practice of identity. That being in a covenantal relationship with God, being representative of God, um, God is a cre- you know, who created all things good, um, observing the Sabbath is a practice of faithfulness within this identity. And I'm really appreciate modern Jewish rabbis and interpreters who remind us of the beautiful privilege of observing the Sabbath. That in restraining from work, in restraining from all the things that we are tempted to believe bring security to us in the world, whether that's lifting or walking distances or farming, whether that's working in jobs, whatever that may be, those, that work that we um, lean into to give us security, that on the Sabbath, observing restraint from that work is a way of releasing control of the world every week to say to to Yahweh God um, you're the creator of the world you are the giver of life so in that restraint there is an aspect of submission to God and so um, even in healing I think I I was kind of boggled it was like healing as a as a work seems a little anti it's like not intuitive for us But in many traditional cultures um, today, and then also for them, healing primarily comes out of things like the care of family members, um, traditional medicine, things like making tinctures and salves and teas, even folk medicine. And all of those types of things involve the acts of work that are forbidden on the Sabbath. They involve things like carrying. They involve things like grinding, um, cooking, all of those things. So... um, that helps to make sense a little bit of, of why healing would be considered a work and in why this Pharisee would be criticizing Jesus for doing that work on the Sabbath day. But I thought it was very, there's this irony in the synagogue ruler's criticism because he's essentially saying to Jesus, like, you're not submitting to Yahweh God on the Sabbath. And yet in doing that, he's trying to control what God is doing and bringing healing and restoration and release. <coughs> And actually, in a way, I find that it's a little easier to relate to that for me, to relate to to the Pharisees' reaction, because in a sense, he's saying, Jesus, this can't be the work of God's kingdom because you aren't doing it how I know it should be done. God, you're not really doing it right because I know that it should look this way. And I know, like, over the past year, as I've been in my DNA group, something I've been processing about kind of having the temptation to say, God, you're not doing it right, has been um, a lot of discussion about community. (laughs) And I'm looking at Mallory because probably the second time we met over the year, one thing that Mallory said to me, like she challenged me. Well, let me back up because I forgot. I need to set it up a little bit. Um, I've done a lot of thinking about community for a really long time and a lot of reading about (laughs) like what I think community should be. 
like reading people like Wendell Berry or learning um, about the Bruderhof, who's this Protestant communal group that came out of World War II and has given up private property and shared life together. And even my mom's... <laughs> Carla, Carla was on board. See, Carla was on board. <laughs> and, I mean, and, and he'll relate to this too. Like my mom's immigrant, immigrant community where individualism isn't so much a core of identity the way it is for us, you know? So like having this imagination for seeing how that functions and longing for that. But then there's always this temptation of having this ideal vision of what that community looks like and not realizing that sometimes um, it's easy to become dissatisfied and disheartened when the reality doesn't look that way. And especially like it's not possible for me and it's not possible for the people around me and then to become dissatisfied about that. And so Mallory challenged me, like, at the beginning of the year, like, where do you see community actually happening in your life? And I'll tell you that I thought about, I've literally thought about this question for almost a year, like, since October, probably, the October of our DNA group. And I think that temptation of living into the bad news and being disheartened and kind of saying, in a way, God, community can't be happening because you're not doing it the way I envision the ideal of it happening, um, would be that I would miss all of the ways that God has brought community over the course of this year, the ways that God has been working in my life and in the life of our church to see the care and the community that's being built. Maybe not as quickly as I want, you know, sometimes. <laughs> Again, the bad news. <laughs> But the point, I guess, is with these two people, the bent-over woman and um, the Pharisee, that these are kind of two postures that we can often have towards God's presence and work in our life, God's work of release and redemption. Either, number one, sometimes we can, like the bent-over woman, we can live with brokenness for so long that we don't even think to ask Jesus for healing anymore. We don't think to expect healing anymore. We're just resigned that the reality of the world isn't going to change, and we're just going to hold on and endure until God brings in the kingdom in fullness. Or like the, fair, like the synagogue ruler, we need eyes to see that God's good restorative work is here, that God is doing work. And we need God's voice to break into our lives and disrupt our routines so that we can let go of the bad news in our lives, to recognize the bad news in our lives and see how God's gracious, loving voice is awakening us to the goodness of his release and restoration. So who do you identify with this morning in this passage? Where do you find yourself? Are you in one of these places with brokenness or hurt or unforgiveness in a relationship? Do you struggle with an addiction to food or alcohol or entertainment or social media or pornography or consumerism? Do you have chronic pain or illness in your body? Or do you feel just weary and burdened, have a lack of joy, even just a lack of joy in your work or in your home or place where you spend your time, the places where we spend our time? We proclaim the good news today into the fading hopes and persistent wounded places of life in the not yet, Jesus sees our afflictions and everything we can't make straight and desires to call us forward to receive release and restoration today. This morning, as we respond to the good news, um, there are kind of three different ways I want to invite us to respond. Number one, we have healing prayer every Sunday. 
during the time of communion, and there will be people like on either side of the room, let's go and ask for prayer, not knowing if God's going to do it, being willing to ask even when we don't know. Um, number two, I talked about the DNA group, and we're kind of in this space where we're, you know, we're signing up for DNA groups. Some of these, some ways that we need healing from God are really long processes, <laughs> and we need people around us to help us to discern what the bad news is in our life and to discern how to move forward into God's good news. So I just want to encourage, I know so many of us in this room, like our lives have been changed by being part of DNA groups. So everyone is invited to be involved with that. So I guess sign up is like the second <laughs> response. <laughs> of course, that requires an ongoing commitment. But um, And then number three, I... Um, just want to take some space this morning to do an exercise of, an, of imaginative prayer. We need um, space in our busy lives to actually hear the voice of God breaking into our lives and to, to speak with, to us about the bad news and the good news he's calling us into in the not yet. So imaginative prayer is a practice that St. Ignatius of Loyola offered to engage all of our thoughts and our emotions and our senses in prayer, and especially as we're using our imaginations um, to place ourselves in the stories of Jesus and in the Gospels. So um, we're just going to take a few minutes today to have an exercise in imaginative prayer of this Gospel reading. So I want to invite you to close your eyes and sit comfortably. And you may want to place your hands on your lap or near your knees, face up or face down, or however you feel like you can sit comfortably this morning. And take a deep breath. How do you feel today? What's going on in your thoughts? And take another deep breath. And as you breathe out, release your thoughts and your concerns to God. And we'll read our gospel passage again. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. 
but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Pause for a moment to let God look at you, however he may want to gaze upon you this morning. Let's begin to imagine the scene. It is the Sabbath, a Saturday, and a crowd fills the synagogue hall. Most of them form a semicircle around the room, seated on tiers of benches that line three of the walls. The stone wall of the synagogue forms the backdrop behind them. In front of them, a row of smooth stone pillars circles the open space of the synagogue hall. In the middle of the open space, in the middle of the synagogue hall, sits Jesus, who is teaching the crowd. Now, place yourself in the scene. Who are you? Perhaps you're someone in the crowd, or maybe one of the disciples, or maybe the bent-over woman who's not able to straighten up at all. Or maybe you're even just yourself watching what's happening. And look around the room again from your new perspective. Where are you located in the hall? Are you sitting or are you standing? How does your body feel? Comfortable or uncomfortable? Is it hot or cold in the room? Who are the people sitting and standing nearest to you? Where's the synagogue ruler? Where is the woman who cannot straighten her back? Find and study her for a moment. What does she want here today? How do you feel when you see her? Now look over to Jesus, teaching in the middle of the room. Watch as Jesus takes notice of the woman who is bent over. Does his face change? What movements does he make as he notices her? Jesus stands up and calls the woman forward, asking her to come to the center of the room with him. What do you notice about her reaction? Watch her step toward Jesus. What is her movement like? How do you feel as you watch her approach him? 
Notice as Jesus places his hands on the woman and as she responds by straightening her body and standing up tall. As she begins praising God, how is the crowd reacting? How about you? How are you reacting? Later, when Jesus has finished teaching and the crowd is beginning to disperse, watch as the woman who has been healed walks upright out of the synagogue. Now is your chance to go to Jesus yourself or let him come to you. How do you look at each other? What words are spoken? What happens? And then glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.